Welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind, a production of iHeartRadio. Hey, welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind, listener mail. My name's Robert Lamb. And I'm Joe McCormick, and bells are ringing, but they are the bells of doom, because today we're going to start off with some responses to our uh, rerun of the Krampus episode from a few years ago. Are you ready to jump in, Rob? Yeah, let's do it. Okay, so this message comes to us from Colleen. Colleen says... Uh, Hi, I listened to your episode about Krampus the other day and since then have seen several posts about it slash him slash her on Facebook. Unfortunately, I missed the event, but here's a story from NOLA.com. So I guess uh, Colleen must must live somewhere around the New Orleans area. And uh, she attached a link to a NOLA.com article by Doug McCash from December 6th. 2020 that I looked up and was pretty great. So, so I want to read some parts from this article. You ready, Rob? Yeah, let's do it. Okay. So, uh, the article begins, a reverse parade took place in Gentilly on Saturday night. Instead of costumed marchers passing a curbside crowd, 80 performers cavorted on the side of the long curving driveway at the New Orleans Recreation Development Commission headquarters on Franklin Avenue, while a steady stream of 400 cars rolled slowly past. It was a Christmas time event with a twist because the star of the show wasn't Santa. It was Krampus. So apparently uh, New Orleans has been having Krampus events since maybe 2017 or so. Yeah, this uh, but- was something we talked about in the, the Krampus episode. We talked about sort of the Krampus revival that has been sweeping the world. Mm-hmm. And uh, and in particular, I think uh, at the time, I this was in 2019, I had just come back from uh, New Orleans. Uh, oh, really? Because— up until 2020, uh, for several years there, it was my family's tradition to go down, visit some family in uh, southern Mississippi, and then go over to New Orleans for a couple of days, you know, go to uh, uh, Beach Bum Berries, get a, get a tiki drink, etc. And at the time, I, rem- I remember seeing like, oh, there's going to be a Krampus parade. Oh, and it uh, either begins or ends, I forget which, at this, this German restaurant that looked pretty interesting. And so I was talking <laughs> about that in our Krampus episode. A German restaurant in New Orleans. Yeah, uh, that's, why not? Well, yeah, no, okay, I can see it. I mean, New Orleans has amazing restaurants. New Orleans is, if if we're ever back in the traveling times, New Orleans is such an amazing city to visit. It's like, it's got to be like the most unique city in the world, right? I mean, it's just like... Yeah, yeah, there's, the, there are a few places like it, for sure, it, especially in the United States. I mean, it is, New Orleans is New Orleans. Yeah. Uh, But so, anyway, going on. Uh, The annual Crew of Krampus foot parade couldn't take to the streets as usual this year because of coronavirus concerns. But founder Mike Assorti, a director of web strategy for the University of New Orleans, and fellow crew members figured out how to conduct a COVID-conscious alternative... The Krampus drive through parade blended elements of the Yuletide season with Halloween and Mardi Gras. The experience for passing viewers began with rows of dancers from the well-known Pussyfooters Carnival Troupe and a cluster of LED-lit drummers. Then came a lavishly costumed St. Nick surrounded by members of the Crescent City Fay Marching Club, followed by strange snowy witches known as the Silent Sisters of Shh. <laughs> 
After that appeared one incarnation of Krampus after another, with glowing red eyes, unkempt coats of fur, serpentine tongues, and malevolent intentions. The Christmas tree decorated with human skulls, (laughs) the the bad child pleading to be freed, and the eerie shadow puppet show were all, uh, nice touches. I liked the momentum, said automobile-born audience member Gina Murphy. At first you said, ooh, this is going to be fun and light, but then it got heavy quick. (laughs) Uh, And then later in the article, uh, car passenger Carly Frankich said her favorite part of the presentation were the weird fairies. Sure, she said, they were taking souls, but they looked pretty while they were doing it. <laughs> Frankich's young son, Miro Coates, safe in his uh, car seat, said that the ride had provided a mixture of fun and fright. This is awesome. I, I really have to salute the, the Krampus crew based on this because I, I have to say, as, as it was suddenly uh, Krampus knocked uh, here in 2020, I, I was initially was like, oh, great, it's Krampus time again. And I was like, oh, wait, I hope. I hope the, the Krampuses of the world can handle it because sometimes, as we discussed in that episode, Krampus traditions can get a little out of hand. They can they can create the sort of uh, like animalistic, lawless uh, sort of atmosphere that might encourage rule breaking. And I really didn't want that for the the, the Krampus um, uh, devotees this year. So it's nice to see that the Krampus crew was keeping it safe, but also keeping it authentically uh, disturbingly weird. You know, I got to say, normally I'm kind of a fan of rule breaking, but I guess not when it's public health rules. Yeah. And you and with the and also, you know, with that big tongue and, you know, a wide mouth, you know, Krampus needs to, to mask up if he's actually going to go out among the people. So it's good that there's a car window between uh, what he's doing and what we're doing. I mean, Krampus is inherently unsanitary. Like, can you imagine Krampus wearing a mask, keeping his distance, mm. uh, wiping down the basket between each child? Yes. And- yeah. Yeah, spraying the, uh, the, the, the switches and whatnot. All right, should we go into this message from Chris? Yeah, this is Chris. Chris writes in and says, Hi, fellas. Just listen to your great Krampus episode. Here's a topic you may find interesting in the future. Many cultures have a creature like Krampus or St. Nicholas that visits every house at the end of the year with different purposes. Gumang from China... Uh, Sylvester Claus from Switzerland, Olga Namahange from Japan. Japan has many different hage. Is it hey? I'm not sure if it's hage or hage. Um, but anyway, uh, but all with the same purpose. And Kukiri from Bulgaria, just a thought. Take care and keep up the great work, Chris. I wanted to include this email because I had to look up images of what Sylvester Klaus looks like. And Sylvester Klaus is scarier than any Krampus. At least the versions I found are <laughs> a, a guy with some buckles, almost like a, uh, like a, like a, a slipknot member number of buckles on his costume. And then foliage all over his body on the top of his head, like a big wreath of some kind of evergreen limbs. But then just the face of rattle shirt, just bone, bone Lord face with weird uh, bone teeth and googly eyes yeah i get it's kind of a sense of a, a pagan holiday guar costume from this <laughs> yeah you know our next lister mail that uh, our, our mailbot here has for us also happens to relate to a forest dwelling bestial creature Ah, very nice transition so this is a straggler message that we found i think this actually did come in 
back in October, but this is about our Halloween episode on the Leshy, and it comes from Laura. Laura says, Hey guys, longtime fan of your show. I recently listened to the Leshy, and I'm taking you up on your offer to share my own, luckily brief, experience of being lost in the woods. It was during a solo through-hike of the Pacific Crest Trail. I was halfway through Oregon when a handwritten sign on the trail notified me of a ground nest of wasps up ahead. So I scrambled up the steep mountainside about 10 meters off the densely wooded trail to avoid it. Because of the steepness and thick vegetation, I immediately lost sight of the trail only a few paces into the woods. Not wanting to get stung, I kept moving off a little ways until I felt safe from the hornets and started to parallel the trail. What I didn't realize was that at some point it switched back beneath me and went downhill in the opposite direction that I was traveling. It was only after bushwhacking for five minutes that I realized I had missed the trail. Even though I had a sense of where I was on the slope by referencing my map, I could not find the trail. Given the rolling and forested nature of the mountainside, I knew that it would be difficult to know where uh, even my relative position was if I kept moving, and it would be easy to follow the wrong drainage that would take me deeper into the backcountry. Uh, th- so I think the idea there is if you just try to like follow a ditch or a stream or something downhill, it might be leading you down the wrong side of the mountain, I guess. Uh, Laura goes on. Once I realized I was lost, I had a wave of panic hit me that had my legs twitching to run as fast as I could, so I tried to calm down and listen for other hikers that might be in the area. Within minutes, I realized that I could convince myself that I heard faint voices in every direction. I think my brain was so desperate for a human voice that it was trying hard to interpret the sounds of the forest as voices. At that point, my reason kicked in, and I did an inventory of my food and water. I had about two days' worth, but could stretch it to a desperate week if I didn't move. Knowing that I was probably within earshot of the trail, I knew my best bet was to stay as calm as I could where I was. So, me being a religious person, I got down on my knees and prayed as hard as I could for peace. When I opened my eyes, I told myself that I was going to only move a dozen feet downhill from where I was, so that I could try to find a flatter spot to set up camp, at which point I was going to blow on my whistle and hope that someone would hear me before my food ran out. If I hadn't been found by then, I would activate my personal locator beacon as a last resort. Lo and behold, only about three steps downhill had me back on the trail. I was truly terrified for the rest of the day. From that point on, whenever I camped or napped off the trail, I kept one of my trekking poles pointed back towards it. In total, I was only lost for about an hour, and it was by the grace of God and dumb luck that I managed to cross the trail again. I'd considered myself an experienced hiker up until that point, but since then I am humbled by my experience. Laura. Excellent. I mean, that lines up with a lot of what we were talking about, um, and also getting into um, some of the the sensory deprivation issues that we we didn't really uh, dwell on. Yeah, uh, it lines up with with a ton of the things from some of those studies about how just people are have trouble anticipating how disorienting being lost in the woods can be. You you think not actually being in the situation, oh, it'd be easy. I'd just walk back the direction I came, you know? Yeah. But, uh, but yeah, it often doesn't work out that way. So uh, glad you found your way back, Laura. Yeah. Oh, and, um, you know, earlier we mentioned like, a straggler email. I do want to drive home. Never hesitate to send us a straggler email. If you listen to an old episode or, you know, even if it's not one that's been featured in the vault and you have something interesting to, to share, uh, do reach out to us. Because especially now that we're taking uh, Stuff to Blow Your Mind listener mail more of a, 
in more of a weekly route. Uh, we'd love to hear from everybody. We have more space now than ever before to share interesting listener mails with everybody. Totally. And actually, I think we were straggling on this one, not not Laura. So uh, yeah. I think this one came in during October or something, and we missed it until I went back and found it. Gotcha. Yeah, we, we managed to trace our way back to the path. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, as many of you know, we're also putting out these Weird House Cinema episodes on Fridays. Uh, it's uh, you know normally the show is science and culture, but there on, on Friday evenings, I like to think of it as a, a midnight Friday show, and we talk about weird movies, and maybe we talk a little bit about science and culture, but mostly it's about the film. So we've uh, heard from people about these episodes, and most of it's been very positive. Uh, here's one that comes to us from mm. Jesse. Okay, guys, you will have to uh, first put up with some gushing. I cannot tell you how much I love you guys and your show. I recommend you at every opportunity. I work a lot in life, and for years now, you guys have turned what would otherwise be excruciating commutes to absolute pleasures. I have wanted to email you just uh, just this for a long time, but I figure you get mail like this all the time, so finally I have a real good reason to write in. I was about to start the dishes when I saw you were covering the battle for indoor, and I almost dropped my phone. Such a random, crazy thing for you to cover, and it happens to be a super important movie to me. Like Robert was saying, I was one of those kids who had it on a recorded VHS. One possible difference being that it was one of only maybe five or six VHS tapes that I had, one of them being Caravan of Courage. I was born in 82, so the Ewoks movies fell perfectly into my wheelhouse while I was all but ignorant of the Star Wars movies themselves. I must have watched Battle for Endor a hundred times, but I didn't notice the reason why I am writing you until recently. Passing the Ewoks movies onto my four-year-old just this year was such a pleasure. I digress. None of uh, this is why I am writing. I have a really cool little tidbit. See, I am not a Star Wars fan by any real measure, even loving the Ewoks and, of course, having seen all of the Star Wars movies. I also live and grew up in Marin in Lucas Valley. So I do not partake in the meticulous Star Wars fandom, but I do have something that I don't think many people have realized. Battle for Endor is special in that it is the only Star Wars movie that I am aware of that contains a swear word. I looked it up before writing you, and fandom says, uh, fandom I think they're referring to like the, the, the Wikipedia uh, realm. Quote, a rumor circulated that Noah swears under his breath while trying to power up his star cruiser during the movie's climax. However, it was debunked in the 89th issue of the Star Wars Insider magazine, which <laughs> cites the subtitles of 2004's Ewoks the Battle for Indoor DVD release as proving that the, that the line is, in fact, ah, come on. Now, uh, just to be clear, the character Noah we're talking about, for a reminder, is uh, played by Wilford Brimley in the movie. Do, did we not mention that already? Uh, no, we did not mention that in this listener mail, okay. no. So imagine, yes, it's it's Wilford Brimley, uh, and Wilford Brimley is in this scene, like, struggling with the controls of his spaceship that's up on cinder blocks in his yard. He's trying to get it going again. Yeah. Um, I have to admit, when I watched it, there were a couple of times when I kind of had this this feeling like, I feel like... Things are being said that are very close to curse words, either things that are grumbled by Wilford Brimley's character or things that, uh, you know, are yabbered by uh, Ewoks that, mm -hmm. uh, that are clearly, you know, not supposed to be, um, you know, English or basic, but but certainly sound a little cussy, you know. Uh, Wicket is swearing up a storm, but you wouldn't know it. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, what Jesse is saying here is that 
it uh, apparently the Star Wars Insider magazine says no, Wilford Brimley does not swear in this movie, and it's based on the subtitles from one DVD release of this, which I did not know there had been. Yeah, uh, they, they're they, not they, really readily available right now, but there there was like okay. a DVD double pack of these. Okay, I see. And the, what uh, again? What they said, Wilford Brimley's actual line was was all oh, come on. <laughs> um, they continue. However, in the version I have, you can very clearly and naturally hear him saying the F word in reaction to the sparks. It's so funny because it's Wilford Brimley. I invite you to check the version you have at this uh, scene and decide for yourself, though I could easily see the DVD and subsequent releases being quote unquote fixed. I am not sure this is a li- this is listener mail worthy, but I thought it was at the very least an excuse to give you my thanks and tell you how much you two can really mean to someone who doesn't always have a good time. Please keep doing exactly what you were doing, exactly the way you were doing it forever and ever. All my best and keep at it, Jesse. P.S. My favorite episodes are the Boltzmann brain episodes. Well, thanks so much, Jesse. Uh, really appreciate the the kind words. And no, this is absolutely listener mail worthy because we always want to hear about Wilford Brimley swearing in children's movies. <laughs> it also does seem like the kind of thing that if they ever give this a proper real, you know, remaster, re-release, they're going to edit it out, and that's just you know, get out of here with that. Yeah, um, I, but I do hope they make it widely available again because yeah, a lot of us are nostalgic for this film and its its predecessor, and uh, I, think, I think it should be out there. I mean, the same with other important Star Wars um, uh, pieces of media, such as um, the original Clone Wars animated um, uh, version that came out prior to the uh, computer animated version. Like that's that's great fun, and it should be available to people in formats that are not just random YouTube uploads. In my totally. opinion. Uh, somebody did write in and mention the the Star Wars Holiday Special, though, and I, I do have to say I'm kind of I'm cool with that one remaining lost uh, for the most part. It's I tried to rewatch it this year, and uh, my eyes were bigger than my stomach on that one. We'll save it. It's coming up in a in a couple of mails from now. Okay, okay, we'll talk about it then. Next one here from Eric. Eric says, Hey, Robert and Joe, longtime listener, first time writing in. I wanted to chime in on two recent topics. First, gravy. I was fascinated by the gravy death ritual in the recent turkey episode. Robert mentioned not knowing of any uh, religious ritual involving gravy, but I think, at least for myself, the making of the gravy on Thanksgiving is a spiritual exercise in its own right. This year, due to COVID-19, my wife and I stayed home and didn't cook a whole turkey, so I didn't get to perform my sacred duties. For some, good gravy is all about the giblets, meaning the liver, heart, kidneys, and gizzard, which reinforces Joe's point about gravy being the essence of the animal it's made from. It's a celebration of this awesome bird. Just like a good rare steak can give you uh, that primal zing up the back of your brain stem, the organs of an animal can carry the same effect, and that's why a true giblet gravy is so good. Making gravy is a methodical, ritualistic process with several steps that you have to time properly. It can be stressful. Will there be enough juices? Do I have enough time? Will the roux come out right? But completing each step is a triumph, leading to the transcendent experience of the final product that literally, parentheses figuratively, (laughs) uh, ties it all together. All the food on your plate and all the people at your table, it can be mind-blowing. 
This is a this is a great point. Okay, yeah. I was just going to say, I, I just a brief thought here is that yeah, when food is meaningful, like there are a few things like it, you know, like it, when food oh, doesn't yeah. have meaning, when it's just fast and and you're not thinking about it and you're not like really experiencing it, you know, that's one thing. But when you when you do get to have this real attachment to the organisms that you're consuming and to the the practices and the history of what's going into it, yeah, there, there are a few things like it. Oh yeah, I mean, food food is obviously so much more than just uh, the experience of eating it, the taste, and the nutrition for your body. It's it's very much a uh, a, a deeply interwoven cultural traditional thing. And this is why, like, if you watch recipe videos on the internet, uh, you'll often see in the comments people freaking out that somebody didn't do it right. You know, mm-hmm. like if if you want any Italian recipe or something, people will be saying like, "That's not how you make that sauce" or something, uh-huh. and and you get the sense that it's because people's memories of the traditions of their 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 dishes are often tied up in people's like family and cultural identity to the point where when somebody does it a different way, it almost feels like a violation of some sacred ritual. You're not doing it right, and this is a blasphemy. Mm-hmm. Okay, Eric goes on. Before I lose it talking about gravy, here's the other thing. <laughs> I loved Robert's postulating about the force and the lore of Ewok's Battle of Endor. As a kid, one of the things I loved about Star Wars was that it was fantastic but believable. It felt real, tangible, and immersive. Even the Force, essentially space magic, felt plausible. So when I think of the Ewoks movie, the thing I remember most was what my seven-year-old self was thinking while seeing it. I laugh at how, even then, I was really hung up on things feeling real and believable. I remember taking issue with the horses of all things. Even with no established canon for what the Force can do, I remember thinking that it was too fantastic and magical, that it felt like an Earth movie. Shape-shifting? Magic rings? Turbo-running? Not in Star Wars. <laughs> it, it may be a testament to the purity and greatness of the original trilogy that even then, the style and feel of Star Wars had permeated me so thoroughly that my standards as a seven-year-old were really high. Or maybe uh, it's just a funny note on memory. We remember the thing itself less than uh, what we remember thinking about the thing. Thanks for all your good work, Eric. Oh well, that's that's all very interesting. Yeah, I can definitely relate to feeling that way about the the magic versus the force uh, as presented in the the battle for Endor. Uh, though I I feel like some li- viewers had a similar issue in the uh, the sequel trilogy, especially um, the Last Jedi and the Rise of Skywalker, because the force suddenly there there's sort of new force abilities that become evident like um, like physical matter uh transferring from one point to another in space and time uh mm-hmm. stuff like that which maybe leans even more heavily into the magical interpretation of the force yeah did it, wait when we talked about ewoks did we talk about horses i don't know if i remember that coming up but yeah why are there horses i don't think there were any horses in the original trilogy were there there were not that I remember. No, I don't think there were horses in the original trilogy. Some horses show up in the sequel trilogy, but they've been kind of like augmented with computer effects to make them like alien horses, which is pretty cool. Uh, but I don't know. I, I didn't really have any problem with the horses in the indoor movie. I figure at some point somebody introduced the indoor pony and it makes as much sense as humans being all over this distant galaxy. So I will allow it. Okay, do you want to go on to this message from Raj? Yeah, let's do it. All right, Raj writes, 
Hello, stuff to blow your mind. In the Star Wars edition of Weird House Cinema, you were talking about the notion of Star Wars canon. You mentioned that the three films of the then-original trilogy, plus the two indoor movies, constituted as part of the Star Wars canon, meaning that the two indoor movies make up 40% of the Star Wars films. <laughs> I am curious about how the Star Wars holiday special fits into this. You hadn't mentioned this film in the podcast. I'm not sure it was intentional, since many regard that film to be not good, or if it's something you just happen to forget. I'm not trying to start a fight or anything like that. I'm just wondering if you consider the holiday special canon or not. Love the podcast. Cheers, Raj. I mean, so if the if if the main films are a canon for me, um, holiday special is like a prime canon. It's it's like the <laughs> canon above all other canons. If something doesn't agree with the holiday special, then it's not canon. Which which uh, canon grade is mostly circus animals uh, because that's. Uh, <laughs> That's kind of the grade I think the holiday spe- the Star Wars special uh, probably fits in at. Um, yeah, as I mentioned earlier, I tried to rewatch this with the riff tracks um, this year, and I ended up turning away for a couple of reasons. One, I, I love riff tracks. I love those guys. I think they do great work. But the riff on this one was like an earlier riff and just felt a little mean-spirited a lot of the time. Um, so I didn't love mm, that. It yeah. just... It, Felt like it wasn't having as much fun as it was just kind of grumpy with the picture, uh, which, uh, you know, isn't the case in a lot of their other work. Again, I, I, I love riff tracks, but. Um, well, the holiday special makes people unhappy. I mean, <laughs> I, yeah. I've watched it many times and showed it to many people, and it it has a tendency to kind of send people into a into a dark spiral. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I think that is. That is a valid point because the the other part of not digging the experience is that it is dreadfully boring and irritating uh, with with the only with only a few really bright spots. Uh, for instance, the original the introduction of Boba Fett in that wonderful like sort of I think it was a Canadian production, but it has this kind of French animation feel to it. Like that is a great little segment. Um, I love that the cartoon. Yeah, the cartoon. Uh, I also enjoy. Some of the Wookiee stuff, uh, you know, getting to see their, really? their home world. Be- <laughs> yeah, because, you know, it's, it, it certainly creates a world and and it is like a setting like in, in this small respect. It is canon because the version of Kashyyyk that they create in this holiday special is essentially the same version that pops up again in um um, um, in Revenge of the Sith that pops up in various video games such as, um, uh, you know, like the Battlefield, uh, uh, what is it? Uh, not Battlefield. Maybe it is Battlefield. Whatever the shooter is that the, they play. Also the the recent Jedi Outcast game. Like Basically, they're all using the same version of Kashyyyk that the Holiday Special gives us. Yes. I mean, so I've probably seen the Star Wars Holiday Special at least you know, 10 or a dozen times, but I will admit it is brutally boring and grating. And it has these repeated comedy skits with Harvey Corman that are yeah. interminable. There's one where he's, uh, where the gag is that he is, I guess, some kind of robot and he's like repeatedly breaking down and going into slow motion. And that skit <laughs> lasts about 10 billion years. It is, it is older than the earth. The, the weird thing is that you can look back at it and see how it made sense. Like, you, I think the one of the key things you have to keep in mind is that this was the heyday of the original Muppet show. 
And mm-hmm. on paper, it sounds great. Like well, the Muppet Show is doing this great variety show with puppets and fantastic characters and and celebrity cameos. We could do that with the Star Wars universe, and it would we could do it in a way that wouldn't hurt anybody. <laughs> right? It, it's B. Arthur and Art Carney. Yeah, uh, but yeah, the result just doesn't really work. There's just so many so many things wrong with it. They really should have brought in Tim Conway and Paul Lind. <laughs> I want oh, to start. Oh, wait, wait, wait. Okay, here's my idea that they could take it to the next level. They should have just done Hollywood Squares in universe Star Wars and its canon. So, like, <laughs> the squares are Chewbacca and Chewbacca's family, the, the really nasty old. Wookiee, uh, Han Solo looking sad, Princess Leia on a mystical journey, uh, like all of them doing the tic-tac-toe. Yeah, don't forget uh, Luke Skywalker wearing an absurd amount of makeup to where he Hilarious. looks like he's, yeah. he's basically in kabuki makeup in that one. It's uh, Huge amounts of makeup. It is uh, astonishing. However, I will say I might feel differently about it if I had actually watched this back in the day, but the Star Wars holiday special is something I wasn't even aware of until I was an adult. So. Hmm. Wait, 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 wait. Sorry, I have one more one more Star Wars holiday special thing to bring okay. up, which is that there's a great scene where uh where Han Solo saves Chewie's family by faking out an Imperial stormtrooper who's approaching their house on the, you know, like wooden catwalk, I guess, mm-hmm. uh, up to their front door. He fakes him out. The stormtrooper falls over the edge, presumably falls to his death on the ground below the house, and then it's like, "Hey, problem solved." But if you think about the logic of it, okay, so now the Imperial troops are marching around and there is a dead one of them on the ground below your front door, and the, they just don't seem to regard this as a problem. Well, you have to remember the the, the, <laughs> the, the amount of training that your average stormtrooper is probably receiving. Uh, it's not great. Uh, They're not really going to be good detectives in that respect. <laughs> right, and plus they're occupying a planet occupied by... Um, uh, you know, where, the, where the, the dominant species are these enormous, fierce um, Wookiees. So, mm-hmm. you know, it makes sense. You're probably losing a like, – like there's an acceptable loss for stormtroopers per day. And they're just like, well, you know, that, that guy clearly uh, is an acceptable loss. All right, we got one more message. This comes in from Ali. Ali says, Hi, Robert and Joe. I have listened to Stuff to Blow Your Mind for many years and have really enjoyed the podcast. I just finished listening to the Weird House Cinema episode on Ghost in the Machine, and I loved it. I watched the movie over the weekend before listening, and I enjoyed that movie immensely. It was so awesomely bad with so much nostalgic 90s style. I don't know if I ever would have known that uh, that movie existed if you guys hadn't decided to watch it. Well, I'm glad we could bring that weirdness into your life. Over the years, Stuff to Blow Your Mind has taught me so much and got me thinking about so many different things. There was an episode where, if I remember this correctly, you tried to get listeners to remember to fact-check things, especially if the things feel almost right. You guys repeated the phrase, if it feels familiar, check the facts, over and over, and whenever my BS meter goes off or some fact doesn't feel quite right, I hear you two repeating that phrase and it reminds me to look into stuff. Anyway, I just wanted to say hi and thank you. Happy holidays, Ali. I think that was from the Illusory Truth Effect episodes where we yeah. talked about uh, the dangers of thinking something is right because it sounds, yeah, that sounds right, That 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 that's often the danger zone. Yeah, yeah, for sure. 
All right. You know, we've uh, I think we've reached the end of this particular episode of Listener Mail. We have more Listener Mail to do, and we will do that in future episodes. But, uh, you know, I thought I also might we might just occasionally just throw out a question here to um, to see what everyone out there thinks. Uh, one thing that was on my mind is that during 2020, uh, due to the pandemic, I think a lot of us have spelt, spent more time by ourselves perhaps more time with ourselves. So here's a, here's a question. What have you learned about yourself in 2020? Uh, and then how do you think you're going to bring that knowledge into 2021? Um, if you have any thoughts on that, uh, we'd love to hear from you. In the meantime, if you want to check out other episodes of Stuff to Blow Your Mind, you can find us wherever you get your podcast, wherever that happens to be. Just rate, review, and subscribe. And I don't even care what order you do those things in. Um, you know, I, if you can even do them wherever you're listening to this podcast. Sometimes you don't have all those powers at your disposal. Uh, but yeah, let us know. Uh, listener mail episodes will continue to go out on Mondays uh, unless we run out of listener mails. And then I guess we'll do something else on, on a Monday here and there. I don't know. We'll see. It's a grand adventure. Yeah. And uh, you guys are along uh, for the ride with us. Uh, we will be having flaming barrel chats with or without your help, but we assume the help will keep coming in. <laughs> um, okay. So anyway, huge thanks as always to our excellent audio producer, Seth Nicholas Johnson. If you would like to get in touch with us with feedback on this episode or any other to suggest a topic for the future or just to say hello, you can email us at contact at stuff to blow your Stuff to Blow Your Mind is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app. Apple Podcasts are wherever you listen to your favorite shows.